Hello and welcome to Behind the Suit and Tie with me, Tama Chowdhury. In Behind the Suit and Tie, we explore the people behind the workers and why they do the things they do. We also discuss the latest news and how we can make work more human. Have you ever sat next to a colleague, perhaps for years, and realised you knew very little about them? This podcast is here to learn more about the world of work and the people within it. Hi, and welcome to another episode of Behind the Seat and Tie. I'm delighted to be joined by Jimmy Okubanjo, um, producing a feature film, Vanishing Woman, uh, which tells the story of working through racism and sexism in the UK. Welcome. How are you doing today, Jimmy? I am very well. Happy, well, happy New Year almost, Tamit. Yeah. How, how has your break been? It's been a mixture of trying to rest and trying to work and doing neither of those particularly well. Yeah, I can uh, understand. It's, it's, it's quite a venture. It sounds uh, like something quite exciting, starting a feature film. Tell us a bit more about, well, how it's going. Maybe let's start with that. Yeah, so it's it's going it's going well. We are in the middle of doing a our first our first crowdfunding campaign. First of all, probably more to come, and we've been able to raise enough to at least cover our production costs, which is great. Um, but the process of going through the film in terms of learning the technicalities of producing and directing a feature length documentary, coming coming from a background of twenty plus years in management consulting, I can say that there is not as many transferable skills as I thought there would be uh, coming into this space. It's been very humbling, which I've enjoyed, really asking questions, being a student again, being a learner again, but while trying to tell a story um, that's really important, very important to me to tell. Yeah, and I'd love to explore that more, but maybe first it would be great to hear a bit more about the story itself. Sure. So Vanishing Women is a feature-length documentary, and we're telling the stories of senior mid-career seasoned professionals in and around London who, at the peak of their careers, were pushed out or vanished due to the toxic work environment driven by chronic racism, sexism, bullying, and harassment, and how they were able to really come to terms with that life-changing trauma and how they're now able to rebuild their lives and the interesting things they're doing and building on their own terms so they can have an impact as well as earn money and, and live a life that, that really means, live a life on their own terms. That's what the film's about. Yeah, and what inspired you to decide to make a feature film on this? It is largely based by my own experiences working in the UK and working, um, as I worked, largely in and around London myself. I've, I've traveled to dozens of cities as a management consultant, largely being based back in London. I did a couple of years as an expatriate as well. And that was a very, very positive experience. But what drove me to really do this is when I came back from working as an expatriate um, and came back to work in the UK, um, the, the, the difference in how I was treated was glaring. And it wasn't new. But being in a space for almost two years where I was honored for who I was, at least on a much better level, you know, coming back and realizing just how wide the gulf actually was for me, um, but still deciding to show up and do the work and putting the hours, you know, doing 13, 14 hour days 
including weekends, working on my taking vacation so I could work and not be disturbed. Um, really knocking on doors, pushing, getting things done, having endless calls to engage and follow up and being and just seeing how little that mattered. And, and, and the response that I would receive is, you're being dramatic, toughen up, N-word thrown in there for good measure, should have hired a white man thrown in there for good measure, all Nigerians are criminals thrown in there for good measure, all in public. This is just, just the stuff that was said to me in public. I won't even talk about the stuff that was said in private or the things that were just the attitudes and the, and the, and the, the uh, hostile environment. And I just thought I was alone. I mean, I was a, this happened as, you know, being in, in a, a few different places. And I thought I was alone. I thought that somehow if I could just work harder, put in more hours, work in the hospital, you know, work in A&E, if I just kept on working and I could just show them, show up at work for everybody else, lead up for everybody else, then just put in the hours. Um, it didn't. And speaking to, um, I was working with a business coach about this issue and he, you know, didn't understand. He couldn't understand how unhappy it was. And I would tell him, tell him how much pressure I feel I'm under and how I'm feeling. He was like, no, but you're doing good work. The work is great. You're doing great work. It's not about the work. It's about, I really, I feel like I'm in a pressure container. So when I finally stepped away from just corporate London, corporate UK entirely, I took a, a really long step back. And I began to hear that a lot of other women in the UK, especially women of color, had very similar stories, very, very similar stories and not being believed, being told they're being dramatic, being told they should be grateful. They should be grateful for the opportunity that being told that it's in their head. And that was being told they had to work harder. The 18 hours you're doing a day doesn't matter. You've got to do more without any clear direction on what that more is. That was what drove me to do the film because I really feel like this, we need to find a safe space to tell these stories and also a safe space for someone to hear the story. I think it'd be very difficult for me to sit down in front of some people and just tell them what I went through. They may take it personally, but maybe through a film where at least we're removed by, you know, we're removed, we're removed by the streaming company. So you have a streaming platform between us and the story. We may be able to hear it and to really begin to just digest that story, digest what's going on. And hopefully when they're hearing multiple different people from different sectors um, uh, talk about what they're going through, I'm hoping that it will help the women who are going through this and anybody else who's feeling othered know they're not going through this on their own. If that's the only thing that comes out of this film, it's just for them to, to, to know that this is not unusual, it's not your fault, because I really felt it was just something wrong with me. And it was very grandiose thinking, I have to say, that I'm the only person in the whole of the UK, you know, facing this kind of really open hostility by people, by, by people who are allies and um, self-declared allies who do some good things too, to do some really good things um, and at the same time don't. And that conflict of like, this is someone who on one day I'm someone who advocated for me because I was being harassed walking home from work in a certain city in Eastern Europe. And he advocated and got me on the phone with the head of the country and they got me a, a better safety plan 
on the same guy months later calling me colored, this, that, all kinds of words coming out of his mouth. And you're like, can you be an ally? Can you do something so supportive on one hand and then do something really vicious on the other? And the answer is yes, because we're humans. And that just recognizing that you could have someone who has done so such great things for you in your career, and that person still does uh, undermines you and makes your work impossible and contributes the bullying and the harassment at the same time. You know, think of like a uh, someone said it was like being in an abusive relation, relationship and not knowing that you were. And that I've heard that repeated by many women. Um, and even myself, that I really felt that because in abusive, in some abusive relationships, speaking from personal history, it's not all bad. And that makes it even more complicated. It's not all bad. Well, thank you so much for sharing. Um, it's, well, it's, it's, it's hard to hear, but I, I appreciate it's even harder to actually say it because uh, going through that and, and obviously talking about it again brings it up. Um, so, so thanks. And, and I guess it's, I hope it's enlightening in terms of some of these issues um, to those of you listening. Um, I think sometimes with this, it, it can be quite hard to, to even comprehend because, you know, um, and, and this is kind of where I'm going a bit with the question because, you know, we talk about London and, you know, cosmopolitan city, uh, open, vibrant, uh, you know, inclusive, these sorts of things. Um, you know, people go to London with the idea that these things don't happen in a place like London. Um, and I suppose my, my question then is like, how, how do we broach this point where people just can't get their head around this sort of stuff happening because, you know, we are an inclusive society. Watch the film when it comes out, Vanishing Women. Um, I think it's a big question to ask, how do we do this? And I think I don't have an answer and I don't, and I think we should just keep on asking the question, the fact that we're starting to ask the question, I think it may be as far as I can go. The reason again, I, I felt doing this film with a, a, a tiny piece that I could do is at least show a perspective that we don't, that we assume is not true. This um, started, the, the irony of this being a London story in one of the most self-declared liberal cities, I think I would say almost in the world, and not realizing that these things are happening here it does silence people from speaking out because somebody will say, well, at least you're not working in X, Y, Z, or at least you're not working in X, Y, Z. But the reality is it's not relevant. It's just, this is what the reality is here. I think having, having more people tell stories like this, having more people like what you're doing, discuss this in a non-judgmental space, not making us, encouraging people not to make assumptions. And anytime I hear any self-declaration of, not having an issue, a social issue, that's definitely a red flag. So if someone say our city doesn't have this problem, massive red flag. I don't have this issue, massive red flag. Because that in, in some ways we're declaring perfection. And when someone declares I am perfect, when it comes to race relations, when it comes to my city, we are perfect. Or we're the least, we're, we declared ourselves the best because of all the other places we're the best. That's definitely a red flag for me on that space because it, by declaring perfection, by declaring victory, you no longer need to engage in this issue, in this topic. It's a shortcut to say, I therefore need, I have no other work to do. 
And I know that I, even as a black woman, when it comes to the racism I've internalized against myself and against my own culture, I have a lot of work to do. Yeah, no, there's uh, a lot of richness in terms of what you said. And, and even that last point, I, I think, you know, I came from, so I come from a actually South Asian background and, you know, uh, so yes, you know, I've definitely experienced things, uh, but likewise, actually, you know, some things my parents would say about, uh, you know, black people is not right either. And, and so it, it can be quite humbling in terms of trying to have that introspection um, and, and kind of realize some of these things. Um, and it, it kind of makes me think as well, um, and I'd, I'd love to ask a bit more in terms of maybe that point where you, you became a bit more conscious that th this wasn't just a thing about you and your particular circumstances, but perhaps it was something a bit more wide or systemic or however you want to call it. Kind of what was that point where you, you started to notice that? It had to do with a, a member of my family, and um, she had come to, to, she'd come to visit me. And being Nigerian, we have uh, lots of family, second cousins, third cousins, you know, cousins by name, you know, kind of all kinds. So she, she came to see me and she had, what she had, she was going through a bit of a tough time. And what she began to talk to me about her experience going to boarding school. In, in she had come from, from, from Nigeria and gone to boarding school here. And they said, she, she, they made her feel so worthless. They put on her the blame for her for the microaggression and the, you know, the slurs and the assault abuses that were happening. They put that on her. She's being too sensitive. And when somebody would start to cry because she said, please don't call me those words. Don't call me that. That's not right. And the, the person, the, the English person will start to cry because how tell how you're making me sound like I'm a racist person because I use the N-word and because I call you monkey. I'm not. And she said, they made her feel so worthless and she like she never you know five six years later she's not recovered from that and there was and because they assumed it didn't happen in that way in that city um nobody called child line nobody called council like if you told me i would have called at least social services to someone to find out what's going on and she internalized that and she's still dealing with that now and she's taking that mindset into the workplace but she's aware of it and thank goodness for counseling and, and support. But I say this because that's when I realized this thing is, there's no benefit in me saying nothing about what happened because it's just gonna make other people like her internalize what they went through, like there's something wrong with them and feel like this is something I have to cope with on my own when really people, you need to get help, whether it's professional help or through a 12 step community or spirit, religious spiritual help or talking to somebody um they need to get help on this and i i think that was what made me really step back that this is a real problem not because of what i went through even though i probably have very similar experiences going through my education the times i was here but i guess it was seeing it through somebody i loved and realizing that if you know i if I didn't say speak up, like wasn't going to speak up for myself, I couldn't speak up for her and for the other people like her who just are coming in already carrying some wounds and some baggage from coming through an education system like that into a workplace that will also receive them in a very similar, that might receive them in a very similar way. Yeah, I do. 
and it's I suppose there's there's a wider point here I think as well that we're, we're talking about these things and you know I suppose what well, my, my hope is that when we're talking about some of these things that we internalize the hope is that we can we can talk about it and actually you know find a way to come through it and then come out stronger and I um, it reminds me a bit because you know I've done a fair bit of coaching in my time as well and so for one reason or another I tend to get a fair few people who approach me who tend to be from ethnic minorities themselves um, and quite a lot of women as well and it's it's striking how much of some of these things can be quite internalized um, just from you know having to be the top at school I think I don't know if that's a particularly South Asian thing but but it's I think it's, it happens and I've certainly been in many talks of you know you have to work 10 times harder and those sorts of things that you kind of just take in um, and how much that can kind of shift the way that you kind of approach work and, and it, it can be really quite hard to um, I don't know transcend um, I, I'd love to think it's possible but um, and I think it is but it's it's a tricky subject and I think it's it's also hard when you know if I talk to someone who had no idea about some of this stuff they just wouldn't even be able to comprehend mm. what what you know imposter syndrome or something like that was so I think for me I think um Nigerians, I, I'm, just, I'm gonna go ahead and say West Africans, but Nigerians definitely, the idea is you have to be top of the class. And if not, it's like the guy who got, the woman or the guy who came first, they have four eyes. So yes, there was a clear expectation to do well academically as well. I think you're talking about, is it possible to transcend? I can say that when I think of the places where I did not face it, like. I would say it was when I was an expatriate working abroad in a black, in a predominantly black country. And vanishing women, why I want to talk about mid-career and senior women, more seasoned women stories, is there's an assumption that when you get more senior, it will stop. And what I'm finding is that it doesn't. In many ways, for a lot of these people, it gets worse. So the transcension, the film looks at how were they able to transcend this? The story actually is a story of a, not redemption, but a story of victory, because I really want a woman who are doing amazing things now. So what are they doing now? What was their route through this? And how have they come out the other side? That's the key thing. What does that transcension look like? Because I said, it looks nothing like HR said. That's for sure. <laughs> um, and I'm, I'm, yeah, it looks nothing like HR said. It's a very different approach and have given being able to give examples of what they're doing now and how that's different. It, it's really very different success in this space for the individual who's going through it, but without having to necessarily sacrifice what they're earning or doing work that they love. Mm, no, it sounds fascinating. Really look forward to it um, being finished. Um, and I guess that this, this point of, um, so this transcension, uh, sorry, transcension kind of also reminds me of the word of transition, I guess. And, and you know, we touched a bit about it on, at the beginning and in the space of, you know, you going from management consultant to now producer. Um, and you touched upon a few things about transferable or less, slightly less transferable skills. Um, maybe just tell us a bit more about, you know, how you found that and, and the career transition more broadly. It's, it's an ongoing experiment. It definitely requires a lot of humility. And it was for me asking myself a, a real question as part of my own journey as a vanished woman. 
um, you know, what do I want to do in my life? What do I want to continue doing in my life? Because I'm very good at turning myself to help to do what other people want me to do and be, and be you know, and get the job done. But do I want to continue in, you know, having to pretend to be someone else? I'm not to at least have a fighting chance that people are going to like me and want to work with me. And I met a producer um, from the from the West Coast. She does, she works with people in and out, in and out of Hollywood and helping produce independent films. And through a series, just almost I think six seven months of just general discussing, nothing. I had no desire to go into film then. Just talking about what she did, um, we came up with a project that 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 I'm working on now. It's and it's just so every day is a learning day. Every day is a school day for me, but I love it. It's not, I now love schools, school. Black, I always love school. Let's not lie about that. <laughs> so I love school. Every day is a Monday. I love my Mondays. Every day is a Friday for me. I really do enjoy getting up and doing some work to move my project forward, whether it is trying to find the right insurance program, the right insurance plan, or recalculating my budgets, or going through different council websites to find out you know, what permits I need to film. Well, every step of the way is such a learning experience for me. And I'm also super grateful that I'm able to do some, do this medium on a topic that means a lot. It means a lot, a lot to me. Yeah, it's, it's, to be honest, it's fascinating to hear because I think, you know, quite a few of us, myself included, you know, it's kind of this office job thing and then maybe it's something like this podcast is my sort of trying something a bit different. Um, and like, you know, I think we all see words like producer when, when we're watching the films and stuff. Um, but I must be honest, I don't really know what a producer does. <laughs> so well, I, I, think, I think if most producers are honest, they really can't say what a producer does. Um, a producer is a catch-all. Anything else, everything that needs to be done, that there isn't someone to do it, the producer does that work. So right from the really obvious things, giving, generating an idea, generating a concept of what wants to be done, raising money, hiring the director, hiring the crew, hiring, you know, working with the director if needed to hire the rest of the crew and the cast, just figuring out how we're going to sell the film, how we're going to distribute the film, that sits with the producer, but then everything else that needs to be done ultimately falls in the laps of the producers to make sure it actually happens. And I guess I'm lead producer, which is kind of like an executive producer, but I guess I'm also executive producer, but whatever it is, you know, so there's, there is a producer who's like in charge of everything, all of the other producers to make sure we get, we pull this together. It's, um, yeah. Okay, so I wear every hat that's left. If people need lunch on the day of filming and there's no one to get lunch, I have to produce lunch. Yeah, I suppose uh, it sounds like a bit of a, a catch-all then. And I suppose I, I can see why as a previous, you know, management consultant, that sounds like the sort of thing that would transfer quite well in that, you know, I guess my image of a management consultant is that sort of, you know, uh, jack of all trades sort of thing. Um, and yet you mentioned that it wasn't perhaps as transferable as you thought, uh, if I yeah. understood you correctly. It's getting things done, I think, is a, especially an operations management consultant. Not, yeah, so as an operations management consultant, getting things done is a big part of what we do. 
the key is getting the right things done. And that's where in any kind of, in any kind of industrial sector, if you don't know what the right things are, you're gonna want things done and actually get nothing actually produced. So this is where really understanding, even thinking about film, thinking about bringing a project to, to the market, to, to audiences, has, has got me thinking in a very, very different way, in some ways, even very counterintuitively, because the, the business operates in a very different way. And I'm very new at the business. You know, I'm very, <laughs> still very new in that space, but I realized that even the way an, a, a creative person would approach a project, a film project, you know, the way um, a writer, and I would need a writer, so I'm using a writer for a documentary, and I'm having a writer to do some, some writing for me, the way they would approach a project, even financially, would be very different than the way I would need to approach it as a producer, because, you know, I need to make sure that I'm still able to pay everybody at the end of the day. So, we, you know, and how, how, what does that mean in terms of what we take to film and what we do with it, are things I've got to think about that weren't really considerations um, when it comes to working you know, as a management consultant or when you're trying to build a car, you still think about how you're going to sell the car, absolutely, but the route to market for a new car and the route to market for a documentary film shot in the UK or about women of color who are facing racism may not be the same. Yeah, I mean, it's, um, I suppose my own personal experience as well is that it's, it can be quite eye-opening and kind of, you know, I my background being in sort of government and you, you get your little thing that you do and, and you know, everything else is you just like, oh, HR or, I don't know, a contract, someone else will deal with it. And then suddenly, you know, trying to figure out how you do half this stuff <laughs> on your own, you just realise how, how sort of vulnerable almost you are um, to, to the wider world of all these things. Yes, but again, a lot of the advice that I would have used is common sense to consultants, like, Jimmy, you do that, you'll make no money. Oh, okay. So I, if you do it that way, they'll have to arrest you. Oh, right. Great. That violates the laws of God and man. Oh, I see. Oh, okay. So, so, so they're definitely very, very humbling, just sitting down and just listening to people share their, their battle scars from doing this. Um, I'm very fortunate to have a good friend. He's a um, cinematographer. He's doing some work for, you know, multi, I would say at least a, a, multi, a, a multi hundred million dollar budget film. And I can get him on the phone from time to time to give him some pointers about, okay, do I need this? Do I need that? And he does it because, you know, we just kind of met. But it's like, should I have cheese sandwiches on set? <laughs> and he's like, well, the union rules state that cheese without pickles are allowed. But I'm just joking. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. No, we will have cheese without pickles. No, I have a, I have a great crew. I, I really am. I will say this, I, I'm, what's really helped me, and this is probably universal, has been the team. Being able to pull a team together who know way more than I do has been, has been a blessing, has been like the blessing of this program. These guys and girls and people are just, really super like amazing people and they believe in what we're trying to do as well and they're just so generous with giving me you know teaching me and and training me as I'm going and that's probably the, the biggest shortcut I would definitely say has been getting not people who are just technically brilliant like my crew are but have the heart of a teacher 
And that was new for me because I think working in corporate, having, you know, being the boss with less experience or, like, or younger, there's a lot of attitude I'd have to face as a woman of color, as a person, but I've definitely, you know, just thrown the slurs, God bless those slurs. Um, but being in a space where I'm working with people who have, again, a lot more experience, a lot of them are younger, and still having that humility and just seeing that you can be brilliant, you can have a lot of experience, you can be a very young person and have a lot of humility and be a teacher. And I really am seeing that for the, I'm seeing that not for the first time, but I'm seeing that in a big way when I'm coming into doing this project. I'm seeing what real, what real leadership is from leading from whatever position you are. I'm seeing that in a really raw way from people who don't feel threatened by their expertise, don't feel threatened, don't need to prove they know more than me. We're just coming together to get this film made. It's been really inspiring for me and definitely restorative, very emotionally restorative for me too. Mm -hmm. No, and that's, it's really fascinating to hear and, and kind of having that comparison. And I, I suppose my, my next question was, was going to be a bit more about sort of you as an individual um, and, and just, you know, my reflections from this conversation as much as anything, um, but also what you're doing, you know, um, talking about your crew, it sounds like you're quite a you know, people oriented sort of uh, person. And, you know, uh, I also just am quite struck by the fact that, you know, to actually say I'm going to go ahead and do a film when, you know, this is not something you've done before. Um, it strikes me of someone who is quite, um, you know, quite happy to try something new and kind of go to new ventures. Um, is, is that a fair statement? Uh, I don't know. I think it depends on the venture. I mean, this took me months to finally pull the trigger on this. Um, did have to run my numbers, did a lot of number crunching to make sure that I could do it in a financially responsible way. But I, I definitely do like projects. I like I do like new projects. I do I do like you know what to answer your question, yes. I'm gonna go ahead and say short answer is yeah, I do like to try different things. I do like to try um unconventional. I've written novels, I sci-fi novels for a while because I really had a desire to, to try that. Um I recorded a song that I'm now able to use as a soundtrack for this film. Um I, I and I think be, I think I have to be in a good space emotionally and mentally and in a safe space to be able to produce and to do things that are really like for me super creative whether it is a new process for the management of change in an aging offshore asset in the North Sea or how we're going to create a, um, a small budget documentary based on work experiences in London I still that still has to come from a space for me of just freedom the respect and and just joy hmm. and and um I, i'm struck as well with this uh i mean this is quite a um almost like a social project in the sense you know it is about lifting up a voice and kind of helping others is, is my sense um i mean i guess what what does that say about you as a person that's a very good question. What does that say about me as a person? Hmm. The part of me that cares about other people. 
don't tell anybody I said that. <laughs> That's not my brand. Um, I, I, I think this film matters to me. One of the thrills through, through lines from my career, well, two of them has been, I've always cared about women at work. When I worked as a dispatcher when I was working, um, when I was sent overseas for short-term assignments in the Middle East, I'd gather the women together and we'd have women lunches and talk about their issues we're going on, going through. Because I found in any sector, even male-dominated or women-dominated sectors, there were always a group of women who were just on the outside. And they and so we'd sit and we'd talk about their goals. And in a lot of spaces, this was the first time they were actually had a sit down and just were able to talk about what they're trying to work on and, and were able to speak versus maybe a, a massive women's seminar where they just listen and nod because some senior executive, we love you ladies. Yes. So um, I've always definitely wanted to create spaces for women to speak, but the other through line has been, you know, for change to happen, we need leadership to also be part of that. And I'm a big part for me has been creating safe spaces for leaders to talk about what they don't understand or what they don't know. Because I do believe, I give the example of the ally who on one hand was doing amazing, was really advocating for my safety because he recognized that I was in an environment where I was being targeted on the street. On the flip side, he also did some, some of the worst things that left, that drove me to, to leave the company. And I would, he would ask, and I think he would feel helpless about not understanding what he was doing and why that was a problem. I don't think he was aware. And I don't like to use the word unconscious bias anymore. I think it's just been a bit, I think it's more a case of um, just indifference or ignorance. That's even, it's an uglier word, but it is ignorance. And I'm, I, hand on heart, I am ignorant about a lot of things that cause harm. And I'm, I'm ignorant, I am ignorant quite often about the harm I cause other people, but I still cause them harm, right? If I'm driving in my car and I'm distracted and I hit somebody, that person is still hurt whether I was distracted or not. You know, whether it was because I was on the phone calling 911 because, or 999 because someone broke into my house and that was why I was distracted, or because I was, you know, listening to, listening to your podcast and was trying to write text a comment while driving, I was still distracted. Or I was just imagining whatever happened, the person is still hurt because I hit them. And the idea around helping people understand their intentions, intentionality um, is not enough. Not intending it is not an, it doesn't mean you hurt somebody. But how do we still create a safe space for people to understand how badly that person was hurt? Because if people don't feel safe, being able to ask what I would call very silly questions, but actually they're not silly questions. They're very, you know, let them start asking, need to create that space. So I've always been through my career open to ask, to answer really simple questions. And I'm hoping again with Vanishing Women, because it's, I guess, again, removed, there isn't a, a person in your living room telling you to your face. It's, it's something that's a, on a screen. It can be the first step in creating a safe space for, ad, for leaders, for advocates, who, who know they can do better to begin to at least hear some answers to these questions and hopefully begin to ask some of these, these very simple questions, but really important questions. Yeah, I, I think it's so important. And 
I mean, it's a, it's a question that I think any of us who kind of are interested in the space always kind of ponder in terms of how, how you get this across. And I mean, I've had a few different play arounds, but it's, it's, to be honest, it's kind of also what led me a bit to the coaching side. Um, not that I exclusively do stuff on, on diversity and inclusion related issues, but I think they do tend to come up just because it's something I'm interested in. But it's, I find it something around this whole self-awareness piece in terms of how self-aware people are. Um, and I think it's a really hard thing to just tell people to be more self-aware because I just don't think that sticks. Um, and, and I suppose what has kind of got me more into the coaching side rather than say a mentoring or whatever side where you kind of are just blurting out information that doesn't necessarily stick is I think it's it's finding ways that, you know, we are in, well, this is my humble opinion, but, you know, we are where we are in the world and it's, you know, you can't just suddenly replace the people who are there, but is there a way that we can kind of at least help them and give the tools that, you know, if, when they, if and when they are ready to kind of uh, start speaking about this or want to do something about it, um, there's, there's a way that they can actually do that. And I think, you know, even Black Lives Matter suddenly kicked off a lot more in the corporate world on this stuff. So, anyway, I mean, it's fascinating just to hear your thoughts. I mean, I, it just prompts my own. I think, I think the, there's a balance here for me in terms of, one, the first thing is, for people who are going through this, how do you save yourself? Because um, I, I spoke to a woman who's, she, who told me her story, how she got so, she got into such a state at work that she was driving home one day. This is again a senior woman, a senior black woman. And she was driving into an intersection and she realized that her family and her children would be better off if she was dead. And then she was going to drive through the intersection. So this is what we're talking about in terms of the price these people are paying. So the, the answer for her really can't be about how does she go back to her boss and try to make no, no, no. Pointing this, this is a very abusive environment and she needed to get out. Um, and so many people are, you know, how, how was she able to exit? Because what's happening is they're not able to sustain that level of swallowing it. And at some point they leave. And so vanishing women is, we're not seeing these women in the boardrooms. They, they vanished because they, they checked out of corporate London. They checked out of a court because they could not continue having to carry the emotional burden anymore. And for some of them, the price they were going to, they would have to pay would be too high. The another lady was talking to me about how she worked for a major consultancy. And they felt, her family felt she could stay there for two more years. She could get, like a, she could get a really high powered government advisor job. And her response to her sister was, I would have to be alive in two years. I would have to have not taken my life in two years. That is the issue I'm facing right now. And so the, 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 re, the issue for some of these women for not, for leaving, because they've come to a point of they've done all the right things. They've leaned in, they've used the right language. They've tried not to be confrontational. They've gone back and thought about when, when these things were done to them, how they can show up and not be seen as a complainer troublemaker. But the emotional toil it has taken on them has come to the point where they cannot continue. So, and so what we're seeing is they're not staying on to become CEOs, chief marketing officers, board members, they're leaving. And so if we do want to get more women and women of color into the boardrooms, you have to get them, you have to change the environment they're working in so they'll be able to stay because it's not enough anymore to simply ask them to keep on pretending 
that this stuff has the 20, 30 years of what they've experienced and they've had to kind of just bend to bend their subs around to, to cope with hasn't happened. And they have to continue doing that for another 20 years. Because the question will be, hang on, I've done this for 20, 30 years. Do I want to continue doing this for another 20 years? And that's where people are like, no, I can't. I, I just cannot. The price has been is too high already. So the film is it's really about it, it's a much more, I'll say pragmatic, like this is real. The reality is, you know, we need help. And for leadership, for some people to continue to push themselves to the point of self-harm. And for, and for them, it's a lot of uh, suicide ideation and that fantasy about ending their lives. This is very common for New Orleans students. So for them, this is, they, they had to leave the corporate world to save their lives. So what do we do about that environment that gets them to that point? And so that, that and I would say that they have then gone on to do amazing things. So I'm, I love the fact they're all doing like these amazing things. So they're not by any means sitting at home swimming their thumbs. But, but if, if corporate wants to keep women like that, they do need to hear the story. And one piece for me is empathy. Simply just hearing more of these stories and sitting with it and sitting with the discomfort as a leader, it will build empathy. If you do nothing else, but just sit with it. And whatever's coming up for you as a leader, I don't like this, I think it's a lie, sit with that. Why do you think it's a lie? Because that's the, that's the, you know, the, the ally of you that's fighting with the traditionalist of us, you know, the good angel, bad angel, or whatever. And the more we can sit with that, this makes me feel really uncomfortable. We can then probably even working through our existing HR diversity leadership systems and processes, we'll probably come to them with a different, a different perspective if we can sit in that space. And again, so a big part of Vanity Women is to also encourage people to sit in that discomfort without any judgment, just to sit, sit in that. Because if you do want to keep people past the senior stage, the reality is it's, it's, it's not about the, the, the time of slogans and asking people to repackage their lives are gone. Um, at that point, someone's you know, 45 years old, you know, 35, like, listen, I, I earn well. I, I earn well without you. So I can, this is not a choice for me. I have to be in this company because I want to be here. So how do you, how do you make it happen? And it's, it's a complicated Thanks. But I, my little part, I hope, with the film, for the leaders, for the allies, I really help, hope projects like this can help in, in building empathy and awareness and helping people have a safe space to sit in that discomfort without feeling judged and just sit in that discomfort. Take the data, how they're feeling about it as data, angry, furious, you know, just completely just numb as data that they can then start to kind of work through with their own, because a lot of leaders have their coaches. They can work through their own coaches, work with their own um, therapists, counselors, religious leaders, mentors, and get into that better space of showing up with, with more empathy. But it's a journey. It's not a destination. With any, anything really, I think, important in life is a continual journey forever. Um, I just want to help people on that journey a little bit.
Yeah, no, thanks so much for sharing. And uh, I think there's lots there, um, although I'm also conscious we're running out of time as well. So um, one thing I did want to quickly do, if, if possible, is uh, I usually do a quick prior round. Um, perhaps I might suggest we do the, the, the short round rather than the more philosophical one. Um, okay. uh, it's, it's pretty simple I and mean, it's one word answers. Um, so it's 10 questions. Um, if you're ready, I'll get started. Let's go. Okay, first question is, work or play? Play. Love or friendship? Friendship. Money or happiness? Happiness. Summer or winter? Summer! <laughs> summer, every answer is summer. <laughs> Morning or evening? Summer, um, <laughs> evening. Okay. Summer evenings. Uh, doer or thinker? I'll go with sleeper, but I would I would go with probably more more of a thinker, but sleeping preferably. Sprint or marathon? Marathon in the summer. Night out or night in? Night in. Cautious or bold? Cautiously bold, but I would go with cautious. And then street smarts or book smarts? spiritual smart um i don't know not smart uh like street smart ish ish like barely okay um well jimmy it's, it's been great speaking and, and i've certainly taken loads some from this conversation um I just wanted to kind of check in actually in terms of whether there's anything else you wanted to say before we wrap up today. Yeah, um, definitely if anybody wants to reach out to me about, the, about what we're doing at Balancing Women, you can DM me on LinkedIn. My information is there. If time it allows, I'll put a link in the, in the description for, the doc for, the, for this, but you can find, um, yeah, you can find me on LinkedIn at bolajimmyworldwide.com. But thank you so much, Tamid, for having me. I really appreciate it. Um, you have it, you uh, created the space. Thank you very much for listening. I've been your host, Tamar Chowdhury. If you like what you heard, perhaps consider subscribing. You can also find more information about me at my website, tamarchowdhury.co.uk. And here you can also find my full list of podcasts, as well as my weekly written blogs. If you do want to get in contact or have suggestions and feedback, you can also find me on LinkedIn. Do drop me a line. I'd love to hear from you.